Good morning and welcome. I want to share that this past week I went to the optometrist. I think uh, I had the same experience basically everybody else that's been to an optometrist has had. I didn't go in with any concerns. I, I went in because it was just time for a regular checkup, just to make sure that my eyes are still doing the thing that they're supposed to do and my prescriptions are still doing the thing that they're supposed to do. So I get there and I get to sit down like we all do and do the part where they have you read the line, uh, a bunch of letters, which is always fun as a dyslexic person just to hope and you know, the little pressure to, to try to get this right because I don't want to end up with you know, some, some prescriptions just because I misread something. Uh, they tell you to read it this way, they read it that way, cover this eye, cover that eye, and I think I'm doing pretty good. Uh, they, they then get you to sit in that other seat with the, the binocular type things that they, they say now or now, one or two, two or three, three or four, is it better now or is it uh, better then? And, and it, it's just the pressure's building up, right? I think you felt that where you just don't want to come out with, with something because you made a mistake. Uh, the entire goal of seeing an optometrist is try to make sure that your vision is as clear as possible. Uh, but you don't want to overcompensate where then you get glasses that just make everything like pinpoint accurate. Well, that wouldn't be that bad. Or <laughs> where you end up having like really blurry vision, you're paying out $1,000 for these glasses and they don't actually help you. Uh, I, share, I share this story because I think it helps us look at scripture kind of like the optometrist. The goal of scripture is to help us have a clearer picture of God, of life, of ourselves and of others. And so if, if we approach scripture trying to understand, does it give us a better picture now or now? One, one or two, does this verse uh, three or four give us a better picture of who God is? Uh, does, it, does it complicate things? Does it, how, how do we perceive life and faith and God and others uh, through these lenses, through these uh, engaging pieces? And if we came with that same kind of energy that you know, we really want to get it right or we really want to just not be super inaccurate on, I think that will help us as uh, individuals and us as a community continue to grow in the knowledge, likeness, and lifestyle of Jesus. So I think that that idea is good for basically any time we engage in Scripture. But let's let's take that idea and and test out our vision um, as we look at Psalm 90 today. the The goal of well, I think all of Scripture is to help us uh, live a well lived life, and this well lived life is out of relationship with God. No matter what you do or you don't do, doesn't actually shape a well-lived life. It's actually how we are lived with and connected to God that allows us to well live into our lives. It's, we are designed to live in connection. And if we don't live in that way, we're actually not utilizing all of our being, all of our heart, mind, and soul, because God designed us to live in connection to him. So as we read through the Psalms, all the Psalms that we've been through, all the ones that we will continue to be through, and I hope the ones that you are opening up in the middle of the week or the, the songs that you're listening to at the beginning of the week are helping you kind of test out your vision of how clear of a prescription of, or yeah, how clear is your prescription on life? How, how is your understanding of God's glory, of God's righteousness, of your, your, your needing for work and growth and development? Um, and so as we read this passage, I hope that this one encourages you to test out your vision, to say, I was missing it here. This wasn't as clear. That part is just a little bit better because I've read this passage. So Psalm 90, let me read it to you and uh, we'll, we'll dissect it and try to apply some of it to our lives and our, our experiences 
and how we see and perceive God, the world, and each other. So, Psalm 90, verse 1. This is uh, attributed to Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generation. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, and by evening it is dry and withered. You are consumed by your anger. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If you only knew the power if we only knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all the days of our lives. May Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deed be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord of our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us, Yes, establish the work of our hands. So that's Psalm 90. It's not exactly like the, the passionate, joyful one. We don't really have a great clap beat for the, the depressing moments and, and the, the challenging things of our, our days are withering, that we are under wrath and our sins are ever before you, even our, our secret ones. Like that's, that's not exactly the, the clappy song we get going in, but it does get to some great valuable pieces for our life and for our journey. And one of the things I want to highlight as we as we start unpacking what the scripture is saying, in, uh, in Psalm 90, it, it comes after Psalm 88 and Psalm 89. That's how sequences work. But it's placed in there, and it's not chronological, right? The Psalm 88 and Psalm 89 are dealing more with exile. But this passage is attributed to Moses, who was actually in an exodus. He was the one that brought them out into the wilderness uh, well before they're established as a nation and well before they have failed miserably at being the people that God has called them to be and now being forced into exile. So there, there's an interesting thing in that they bring back Moses in the way they compiled the Psalms to help speak to the experience of exile, to help remind that Moses was a faithful man of God, that he did wrestle with hardship, he did wrestle with... Uh, you know, his sins and, and that before God, but that God was faithful all the way through, leading them to be the people in the land that they have now been taken from. 
So I, I imagine that part of the way that Psalms are, are written is to help the people work through uh, life and faith and, and remember that God has been with them for a much larger story than just their finite moments or even, even our finite lives. Now, as we clip ourselves into a, a historical context of God moving in creation, God moving amongst people, God being one that is ever present to his people, but also ever looking to bring people into his fold. Uh, we, we start getting a, a little bit better of a picture of what, what scripture can do for our heart and our lives as, as it kind of clicks. Is this bringing God into vision better? Is this helping us understand our troubles and our sorrows in, in a greater context than just the, the morning dew? And so the, the people of, of God at the time, this, I guess, was compiled they, they may have been wondering why they didn't heed God's warnings. Why they continued on the path after God continually corrected them through the judges cycle, through the kings, through all of his prophets, that they just kept missing the correction that God was trying to uh, guide them in. And so as, as we look at this, one of the things that is, is valuable to identify that bad things happen to people. Right? It's, it's one of the greatest... Uh, challenges to a lot of people as they're exploring faith is how can there be a good God and bad things happen to good people? Uh, as, as we, I, I'm sure you have experienced is bad things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. And a harder thing maybe for you spiritually or for us spiritually is bad things also happen to God's people. There's a lot of bad things that just happen. In, in this context um, of exile, this was a bad thing that was happening to God's people because of the bad things they have done. And a lot of us want to just then say, oh, well, maybe the bad things in my life are happening because I did some bad things. Uh, it sounds kind of like Job's, Job's friends when he was dealing with the loss of his family or all that was going on. Like, oh, you must have done something wrong. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes bad things happen as God's way of correcting you. But not always. Sometimes bad things happen to you because somebody else has sinned and the natural repercussions doesn't actually hit them, it hits you. And you are completely just, you're completely fine, you didn't do anything wrong to deserve this. Sometimes you do bad things and it causes bad things to happen to others and you, you are absolutely fine. You may have come across people that are constantly living in that spot where they're fine, but the, bad, the, bad, the wake of the bad things never catch up with them. And so the, the idea that I really want to kind of just lay out there is bad things just happen to people. And from that idea, we want to unpack a little bit more of how do we live in the tensions of the Psalms? How do we live in the tensions of our daily lives? And, and as we're coming out of a pandemic, uh, how do we live with all that has happened to us over this past year and a bit? So bad things happen to good people, bad people, and God's people. But one of the great things that we as, as people are growing to know Jesus, we call ourselves Christians or those that are submitting our lives continually to God, uh, know that in Romans 8, 27 to 28, it says, the Spirit intercedes for us, the saints. So one, God is on our side. While bad things happen, God is on our side. He, the, for his saints, he is, he is interceding, he is working, he is pleading our case. We don't have to even worry about that because the Spirit that God has given us is on our side. It is pleading for good for us. And in verse 28, you may know this, and we know that for those who love God, 
He's working all things together for good. This does not say that all things are good. It doesn't say that all bad things will become good. It says that God is working all things together for good. And so the, the bad things are still bad. The hard things are still hard. The good things are still good. But God, who is interceding on our behalf, is also knitting these together, taking the worst experiences and taking our best experiences and everything in between. And he is working all things towards good. And it may be hard to, like, for where you are today. It may be hard to sit there and look at the, the bad things that have happened to you and not yet see that God is knitting it towards good. And, and there's space to sit there. That's, I think, one of the beautiful things we learned from the Psalms is that there is space to sit in grief. Yeah. There's space to be downcast. There is space to lament. A lot, like Psalm 88, all lament. Does not get any good notes. And as we engage in these spaces, it's, it's okay to lament. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to, to wonder, God, how and why is this happening? But as we navigate the tension of bad things happening just to people, we can start noticing that there, there's, there's still life here, right? Let us number our days. But there's life around us, and it may not be as cheery or as exciting as we thought it was. Uh, before we came to the reality of whatever has happened to you. But as we look around the pasture, knowing that God is our good shepherd, that he will guide us through this pasture, he will guide us through the, the dark valleys, he'll guide us through the mountaintops, he is close to us. That while God has moved his people into exile, he never gave up on them. Right? We know that the, the redemptive plan God still moved amongst Israel. Jesus still came from their lineage. He didn't move on to another people. He's not done with them yet. There is growth. There is relational challenges that need to be sorted out because God doesn't want us to live apart from him. He wants us to live a well-lived life. He wants us to live in connection to him and allow our perspective to continually be challenged to see, has it gotten a little dim? Has it gotten a little foggy? Has can we still identify what God's goodness is and where he is calling us? So as, as this passage works through the, the dim, dark moments, we also see in verses uh, 12 to 17, uh, a bold, boldness in prayer. Uh, Moses, you may know from his story, was a guy that God's like, I'm done with this nation. I just want to do it through you, Moses. And he, he boldly told God that he's not done with Israel or the, the Hebrew people, that it would be a bad stain against who God is if, if he just let this people die. And God relented, it says. The, the idea that God changed his mind is a harder one to, to work through, but Moses knew that God's heart was for his people, that God's heart is for his glory, and that God wants to do amazing things. And that as Moses understands who God is, he can live in the fullness of who God is. And so he can say, God, like, that's not your plan. That's not who you are. That's not what you want to do with this nation. And we get to see a bold prayer from Moses in scripture. We also see that Moses has a natural tendency to boldness. Like when he was called to be the voice piece for God and he tells God that he can't because he doesn't speak well. That's pretty bold. God loves bold prayers. 
And for some of us, as we are dealing with situations that are thrust upon us, scary moments, or just dreams that haven't been fulfilled, as we read through Scripture, not just this psalm, but all Scripture, we see God lending his ear to us. We see God drawing close. We know that the shepherd is near to us. And it gives us an opportunity to say, does this bring God into, into clearer view or less clear? And if, if, if God is becoming less clear in this moment, look at the text, look at the words, and, and seek for God to speak to you. Ask him to bring clearer vision to you of what he wants to do in your life and through your life, what he wants to say to you as you, as you hurt, as you lament, as you grieve. God is not waiting on the mountaintops for us to get there. God is our good shepherd who walks us through that. He stops us by streams. He, he leads us to good pastures. And he protects us from all that wants to consume us. He wants to work all things to good. So when Moses challenged God about the people that God was wanting to be done with, he leaned in on who God was. Right? In this passage, in verse 13 and 14, we see, once again, Moses is highlighting who God is. God, you are compassionate. And if today you need to hear that, that God is compassionate, stop here and pause. God, you are compassionate. Show your compassion to me. No matter what I have done, no matter what I haven't done, no matter who I am or who I'm with or what's going on in my life, Lord, I know that you are compassionate. Show me your compassion. Or the verse below that says, God, you have unfailing love. As so many things in our lives could be failing around us. Lord, your love is unfailing. Show me it has no end. That might be a good prayer for you from this passage as well. And in verse 15, this might be the harder one, is the sovereignty of God. Right? He's, uh, Moses writes that all of this has been in front of God. That God saw not just the good that was happening to you, he also saw the bad. And if God is sovereign, this is another one that a lot of people in their spiritual journey are, are wrestling through now, have wrestled through, or will continue to wrestle through, is, God, if you're sovereign, why don't you stop? these things. You saw them coming. But the beauty is also knowing that God is sovereign. And so if he saw them coming and he has a plan to work all things to good, then we know that we can trust that shepherd that let it pass, let it happen, that he is going to work with it because he loves you. He didn't want it for you. That's, that's a very different thing. It doesn't necessitate, God's sovereignty doesn't necessitate that he wants harm to us or bad things to go on in our lives or, or things to happen to people that we care for. But God's sovereignty also allows us to understand that he will do what he says. If he is sovereign, he has full ability to be compassionate, to be one of unfailing love, to show us through Christ what that really looks like when it's fully manifest in a human being. So as we walk about our lives, we can rest in the sovereignty, but we do also have the opportunity to wrestle with his sovereignty. But as we go through scripture, not just this one, but the other passages throughout scripture, it allows us to get a better picture of his sovereignty, of how he organized all of history to bring it to Jesus's crucifixion, the ultimate picture of 
the best person having the worst thing done to him. Right? If, if you have hard things in your life right now, or if you've gone through hard things, I don't want to minimize that. But let's keep it in context. Let's, let's go, is it clearer now or now? If we look at Jesus, God incarnate, perfect, sinless being, walking creation, loving and restoring and entering into relationship with people around him, being crucified, murdered, spat on, betrayed. He didn't deserve any of that. And God takes the bad things that happens to the best person and turns it into good for you. If that can happen in Jesus' life, if the worst to the best can change all of history, the worst in your life, who aren't, you aren't the best, right? God can take that and still do amazing things. He will work good things from that and the good in your life. Now, I just want to camp out a little bit longer on this, this passage in verse 12. It says, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God's desire for us to have a well-lived life, once again, doesn't come out of our actions or inactions. It doesn't come out of our attendance on Sunday or attendance in a Zoom or attendance online. It comes out of being in a relationship with him. And that is the heart of wisdom. As we understand the finiteness of us, how many, how many days we really have, the statistics is, I think it's 81 years as a male, 84 years as a female in Canada. Those are our days Right? The, the passage was oddly accurate in how many days we have if our strength is held up. But God is introducing this bigger idea that he, he wants us to live in wisdom. And wisdom, true wisdom, is not just knowledge, it's discerning. And as we discern, it's in connection to the spirit that he has given to us that we know intercedes on our behalf. And that spirit wants to guide us into the ways of life so we can fully live into the the image of Christ that we were given, the one that we were designed to be. And so as you think about what wisdom could look like in your life, as you maybe contemplate the number of days you have left, if, if you're younger, you might feel like you have a lot more. If you're older, you might actually see the, the finiteness coming in. But what, what metric do we have? How, do, how can we look at our lives and know if we're living it well? God's wisdom, his, his desire is for our, our life pattern to bring him glory. And so some categories that you can, you can mull over right now and maybe in the rest of the week if you, if you, if you want to, I would, I'd encourage you, but you get a say in this, it might be wise for you, is what is God's pattern in your life in the next you know, three years, three months, or three days for worship? All right, we know that God wants us to live out this life well, and there's a part of our being that is designed for worship. So how do you engage in worship? Is it just Sunday mornings? Is it just the music that was great to have another church help us with this year? How, how are you living out worship? How about work? Right? A lot of us gruel and grind through work and just try to get to the weekends. Is that, is that a well-lived life? Does the way you work bring glory to God? In this passage, the last lines talks about God directing our work, guiding our hands, allowing our craft to be something that honors him. Does the craft that you have, the one that you spend most of your time in the week on, does that fit into the wisdom lifestyle of God? 
not because it's ungodly to do this job, but are you approaching it in connection to God? Does the Spirit live with you as you file tax reports, as you ship containers, as you do whatever it is that you do? Do you notice that God is showing up to work with you? And not just to evangelize, which I would love to see you sharing the, the hope who is Jesus with others, but do you sense him living with you as you go to work? Another spot is rest. As you, as you take on rest, are you finding yourself living in a rhythm of, of God's wisdom? Part of it might be just actually resting in itself. But do you sense God having a good time with you as you take breaks, whether at work or whether it's a weekend, whether it's an evening or a vacation as it's summertime? Is God present to you there? As you have a family or as you engage with your family because you don't have a family of your own? Do you sense that God is in and around and, and bring glory to himself in the, the way that you guys feast, the way that you guys play, the way that you guys converse about history together? Food, like we're, we're Stanley Park, we love food. Does our approach and our relationship to food, does that live out the patterns of wisdom with God? Do we get to say, oh, this is so, so good, or this bitter piece that Brad prepared reminds us of how much better things are in God's kingdom, right? Whatever way we can approach food that lives into the wisdom and pattern of God, let's do it. And in a stunning views, like as we look around in beauty, like our culture, we love the surface level things, but to be taken back by the depth and beauty, like science, one of the most beautiful things about science was how driven people were to continue to explore the next level of beauty that God had created. As, as we go about, is there things that just take our breath away, knowing that God put in work and effort to just create that leaf, that stone, that mountain, the ant, the spider, right? Whatever it is, like, are, do, we, do we allow God to engage with every minute of every moment of every day? And that is actually where the wisdom in a well-lived life is. It's every aspect of our being being lived into. So maybe a great way to start wrapping this up is just leaving some more questions. I, I, don't, I don't know the applicable things for you in your specific situation with all that you have going on, whether you're leaning towards lament or love or life or limitations, but evaluating how we spend our days. I've been more and more and more and more and more convicted about how, I got one around here, how this thing is interrupting life. Every few moments, it just takes me away from the moment I was in to potentially create a moment, moment that might be in the future or catching up on something that isn't even relevant to my, my now. And as we, we look at our lives, are, are we spending any of our time in the, the patterns that give life, the patterns that allow us to fully live out the, the life of the Spirit in us, to live into the being that God has created us to be? Right, as, as you may want to dissect, how did you spend yesterday? What things did you see God in? Did you see God in at all? Or has it been a few days since you actually connected with him? That was one of the challenges of the exile, was that all that they had taken for granted over the years of God's presence, of God's guidance and God's rule, they had slowly drifted away. One of the worst parts in scripture is when they went through the rubble of the old 
uh, temple and they found the word of the Lord and they say, oh, look what we found somewhere way back in the, the recesses of this temple. They had forgotten God's way. They didn't have the clear vision. They didn't see how God's word was correcting and directing them in the ways of a well-lived life. And God only allows us to go so far down a path before he tries to interrupt us. And once again, not all bad things that happen to you is because of your sin. Some of it is natural consequences. Some of it is consequences of others. And maybe it's even moments like just today's message. It's just God trying to bump you and say, hey, let's go rest together. Or, or hey, let's go work together. Or hey, let's go eat together. God's desire is not your performance. God's desire is your presence. In anything. Whether it's in lament, in grief, in confession, in repentance, in joy, in worship, anything that you can do, driving, right? Any, anything that you do in your life is a moment that God wants to be with you. And I think that is what allows us to look deeper and wider and get a better perspective on life. Is God present? Am I present to him? How does this faith matter in this moment? And so for you, as, as we finish today, I ask you, how does God matter in your next moment? The next thing you do, grab lunch, text somebody, check emails, whatever the next thing you have after this, how is God present to you? Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for your word that gives us perspective, gives us the ability to, to see what lines up with you, what we are getting foggy on, and allow us to see your heart. Help us lean into your love, into your character, into your sovereignty, into history of how you've moved and shaped people. Guide us closer to you. Make us the people that you've designed us to be. And Lord, as we finish out this summer, as we head back towards being in person as your church, Lord, may we know that you've been present with us in every moment of every day, in the high and the low. And Lord, for us who are struggling, us who is going through a dark moment, turn on a light, Lord. Draw close. We need you today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. It's great to be with you guys. I look forward to seeing you uh, at our next reunion Sunday at the end of the month. And uh, till then, we have music on Mondays. We got the home stretch on Fridays and Sunday morning. You know what's going on here. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you soon.